You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, as usual... My pandemic co-hostist with the mostest, Paul Doroshenko. Hey, that's me. That's you. Welcome. Yeah, to July. July the 2nd on the day that we're recording it. July the 3rd on the day that we release it. How many months into the pandemic are we now with the... 11. Borders closed with the U.S. until the end of August as of today, I think. What? Yep. No. Yep. That came up in the, uh, Bonnie Henry said it would have been announced. I was listening to the, oh. the Daily Bonnie Henry show. Well, that's incredibly sad for me. I had plans. There was supposed to be a women's retreat for the DUIDLA in August in Nashville. I had plans to go to California for personal reasons. Personal reasons? Yeah. Hmm. Mystery. Um, yeah. And then I wanted to go to Chicago to go to the Axion training course. I know, you were all geared up for that. I was like, I got rid of some trials, it was going to all work out, I was going to give them all the money I don't have. I don't see how it was that much different from the course we took in the blood lab in Texas. Well, it's the, there are four separate courses, and if you take them all, you get certified as a lawyer scientist, and you get presented with the golden column. The golden column, okay. Well, we have one of those... Uh those DUI defense lawyer eagles already. That's from the NCDD. Yeah, I know. Do we really need a golden column on top of it? Oh, I don't think you get to keep the golden column. There's one golden column and you just get a picture with it. Oh, The point is... It's like the Stanley Cup. The point is you can be like, I'm a lawyer scientist. (sighs) I'm a lawyer, lawyer. I'm a lawyer country singer. I'm... Uh, a lawyer political pundit. Oh. Today was my first day as as a guest political punditer. I don't know. I don't know. Political pundit is it? Yeah, as a, on the uh, the Linda Steele. Yeah, on the Linda Steele show. I used to do that with uh, on the Jill Crop show. Yeah. Uh, many years ago on BC One, I was uh, like every second week. I was tonight on BC One. Jill anyway. Crop speaks with Paul Doroshenko and. Various other people. Yeah, talking about lots of politically stuff. It's kind but, of fun. But you have to stay up on politics now, whereas, you know... Well, I mean, I'm on Twitter. I know. <laughs> well, it doesn't mean that you're reading all the stories. You're just reading the headlines when you're reading it on Twitter. Yeah, well, I'll have to read the stories. Well, I'm sure they'll give you probably topics. They used to give us topics. Yeah, they give, they give us topics in advance so I can prepare, read the things, think about what I'm going to say. Formulate my opinion. As I said, when they asked me... I tried to, but sometimes my opinion changed. There was a few times that Jill persuaded me, actually persuaded me before I got to speak, and I was like, oh yeah, you're right, Jill. (laughs) Um, I was going to say, you know, they asked me, and I said, yeah, sure, I've got an opinion on everything. You (laughs) do have an opinion on everything. That's why we like you. (laughs) Not necessarily a well-developed opinion, what the heck. Shh, I have a podcast. I can say whatever I want. This is going to be the Joe Rogan equivalent for driving law. Yeah, you think? Can you just me yelling into the mic for 40 minutes before letting my guests talk? We could do that. 
We could do. I know I could do it. <laughs> yeah, you could. Yeah, I've often was, thought that maybe I should those, just do that. Those weeks that you covered for me, and it was you and Jan. That's basically what it was. It was the Joe Rogan show. Yeah, and people and people probably <laughs> tuned in like crazy because okay. they want to hear it. They want to hear the brilliant insights of a uh, middle-aged man. No. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear the brilliant insights of a middle-aged white dude. Who listens to Joe Rogan? What is it? That shows up in my, like, feed for things, and it's like, fuck, who wants to listen to that? Okay, so funny story about the Joe Rogan podcast. Before I knew anything about Joe Rogan... I don't know anything about it. I tried to listen to it for about a minute, and... It's I, unlistenable. Well, it's completely unlistenable. Anyway, before I knew anything about him randomly he sent me an invite to be on his podcast this was around the time of like bill c46 had just passed and so i guess he must have read some news story where i was quoted on it yeah. this is like i want to have you on my podcast and i was like whatever i'll go on any podcast i'm not discriminating well this is the thing we had a time set aside to do it and then he texted me at the last minute i have joe rogan as a contact in my phone still um he texted me at the last minute and was like oh actually can we push it to tomorrow i had something come up and i i've got to i've got to deal with it and i was like okay sure then the next day i'm like get up it was you know he's on the east coast so i i was like three hours ahead i get up at like five o'clock to be ready for eight he never called me i texted him and i was like Yo, Joe, are we recording or what? Nothing. I waited for half an hour and then I was like, fuck it, went to work. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. How reliable is Joe Rogan? Yeah, exactly. So I can drag the Joe Rogan podcast, which totally rudely stood me up. Yeah. Never apologized. It's not the first time you've been stood up and probably ain't been going to be the last. Oh my God. We're not telling the stories of me being stood up. We're going to talk about driving law now. Let's get into it. Driving law with Kyla Lee. There's always something interesting in driving law. And we had a couple of... BC Supreme Court decisions. Yeah, two really interesting decisions out of the BC Supreme Court in the last week. The last one was like just after um, we got um, we got uh, this podcast recorded. Then the very next day it was released, so it was a little bit frustrating because I was like, "Oh darn, this would have made a great topic," but of course, you know, they don't release them on time. Anyway, um, it's a case called Sherman. Um, and essentially what happens in, in the case was Mr. Sherman wanted to appeal his traffic ticket conviction. He had gotten a ticket for excessive noise. Um, and for those of the podcast listeners who are familiar with the Constable Kane of the Vancouver Police Department and the complaints that have been made about him and his excessive noise ticketing practices, you will be very interested in this. Um, so Constable Kane had ticketed him for excessive noise. And according to Mr. Sherman, he was told by the officer that the ticket didn't carry any points. There was some other vehicle defect that he had as well. So he had two charges on one ticket. So he, on the basis of that, went and paid the ticket. And then lo and behold, turns out there's three points for excessive noise. So he says, well, this is some garbage. Well, and that's important these days. Mm -hmm. I mean, very important because now we have car insurance linked up to your demerits on your license on top of driver point premium. Yeah. Um, so he goes and he tries to appeal his traffic court conviction, essentially arguing that the, um, the conviction was... Um, like his guilty plea by paying the ticket was not free and voluntary and informed. Because he'd been incorrectly informed by the police officer. So he was relying on the police officer's incorrect legal advice. 
Yeah. So he was essentially trying to say that... Um, an officially induced error. Well, no, it wasn't an officially induced error. It was more that he um, he shouldn't have to pay the ticket on account of the fact that he had um, this this misunderstanding of the consequences of the ticket. So the prosecution, the Crown, took the position that he shouldn't be allowed to withdraw his guilty plea because he should know what the collateral consequences are. And there's all these cases. There's like a ton of cases, um, including one from 2010 from the BC Court of Appeal that said that unexpected collateral consequences in the form of purely administrative penalties are not sufficient to expunge a plea because they don't impact whether you committed the offense and whether the mens rea was there for you to commit the offense. Um, and that was the Crown's position. But the BC Supreme Court judge, Justice Brundrett... Um, smart judge? Yes, smart judge. He wrote a great decision on disclosure that I still rely on to this day. Um, he's, Groundbreaking, but he's had a lot of good decisions. Yeah. I've been following his decisions. He's had lots of good decisions. Well, he's a really good judge. He used to be a... Um, <clears throat> like one of prosecutor or something, wasn't he? No, no, no. He was a, a special... Special Prosecutions and Appeals Crown. Oh. So... Read a lot of law. Yeah. I mean, he overturned my acquittal on a case, but... <laughs> Oops. <laughs> oh, well. Get a new trial. Um... Well, your disclosure case, though, was, like, groundbreaking and... Yeah. The still leading decision in the country on that. Yeah, which was cool. Um, and I won that trial, so... You weren't there for the decision. The one I won. The disclosure. No, I was there for the disclosure decision. Oh, I wasn't there for the there trial for decision. Trial decision. I went yeah. to sit in for you. Yeah, it was very sad that I wasn't there. Good decision. Because that was a that was a marathon, man. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he looks at all of this and he says, "Well, no collateral consequences. If you're ignorant of the collateral consequences, that actually does inform whether the plea is informed and voluntary." And then he cites two 2014 BC Supreme Court decisions and the 2018 decision from the Supreme Court of Canada in Wong, where Mr. Wong had pled guilty to uh, a criminal offense, but he didn't understand that there were going to be collateral consequences insofar as his immigration status. And the Supreme Court of Canada is like, well, of course he can withdraw the plea because his immigration status is like a serious issue for him. And he, if he didn't understand that, then how can he possibly be informed? See, I agree with that all the way along, uh, and you and I have appealed decisions, um, people paying their tickets, for example, when they didn't understand because the police officer, and, and we've had them overturned. I mean, we have had them in the past overturned mm -hmm. just by laying it out, mm -hmm. um, not explaining the law, just by laying it out. The person paid their ticket because they, you know, there's... A misapprehension of what the consequences were that were directly re related to it, though. But in this case, maybe not. Anybody... Well, I mean, what's the point of disputing a ticket? Like, nobody disputes a ticket because they don't want to pay the fine and well, then, like, pays people, the fine. We've had people dispute the ticket and pay the fine at the same time, right? And yeah. They think, that they're, they think that they're maybe somebody's going to... They don't understand the fact that the money is going to come in and they'll get a refund later if they win or something. Yeah. And they go, you know, the people at ICBC often misinform them because if you go and dispute your IRP and you pay your IRP fine, that's okay. Mm -hmm. But if you dispute your ticket and you pay your ticket fine, that's not okay. So it's confusing. 
The difference is that one's an offence and one isn't, but the question of whether an IRP is an offence had to go all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada. So, you know. And even they got it wrong. Uh, in my view what the heck we gotta live with the law yeah um so then the crown said in this case well you know it doesn't actually matter whether or not he he can have it withdrawn because it was uninformed because he doesn't have a defense to the ticket because if he made excessive noise he made excessive noise and it's a it's a strict liability offense there's lots of defenses to it Excessive noise ticket. Never mind that the law is probably unconstitutional. You're just waiting for the day to fight that. I just want to. I want to so bad. Somebody filed one such constitutional challenge to the law that wasn't me. And then it just got, like, abandoned. It's funny. These excessive noise tickets always become, like, there's a, there'll be a wave of them. There'll be a lot of discussion of them, apparently, on chat roomy things. Um vehicle type chat room things and you expect it's all going to happen it usually becomes a news story for a while mm-hmm. and then it kind of gets quiets down <laughs> yep and the uh you know the legislation is drafted in this weird way where it says you can't make loud and unnecessary noise so if the noise is necessary to whatever maneuver you're trying to do even if the maneuver itself might be illegal like stunting then arguably you're not in violation. I know it's silly, but the judge basically says, you know, loud and unnecessary is not defined. So it is subjective. And if there's noise caused by changing gears, then that might be a defense. It's not for me to decide. That's for the traffic court to decide when he has his day in court. Anyway, yes, there's that. And there's all the steps of what they have to prove. Yeah. So it gets sent back to the provincial court. For a traffic court hearing. So he successfully challenged his guilty plea by paying the ticket, which is great because it opens the door for there are hundreds of people who contact us like on a monthly basis saying I paid my ticket and I didn't realize it had points. And, you know, now the door is maybe open for those people to overturn their convictions. But Paul, there's always a hook. It's always a hook because that judgment, um, which was uh, released May 15th, but only published last week on Friday, that judgment appears to be in some respects affected by a judgment that was released on June 1st um, and published on June 29th. Monday. Monday. Yes. So on on Monday, this is a case, uh, Regina and Creative Transportation Solutions. So it's a company that was ticketed as opposed to an individual. How creative are they? They're driving in trucks. Well, maybe they find creative routes to get things faster. You don't know. They use Google Maps. Maybe they were the (laughs) first ones to use Google Maps. So this individual um, files for um, an extension of the time to appeal a conviction. Very similar to Mr. Sherman, except I think he, Mr. Sherman did it within 30 days, whereas this guy didn't. But still, he's saying, I've been convicted. I want to appeal my conviction. Give me an extension of the time to appeal my conviction. So, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other, because one of the things the court has to look at is whether or not there's merit in the underlying application. In this case, the court dismisses his application for an extension of the time to appeal the conviction. 
And we don't really know, like, the details of, like, the ticket. It was a ticket for a red light offense that had been mailed to him. So, like, a, um, a red camera, light ticket. camera ticket. Yeah. At, uh, and it was mailed in November. And he paid. Uh, he paid it. And then he filed an extension. And we don't know why, although I suspect it's because it was a commercial vehicle. And he realized that it was going to be commercial Commercial points. points. Yeah. So then... The quick note, side note, commercial mm-hmm. vehicle, even if it's a red light ticket, there are commercial points. So mm-hmm. that is the reason you may want to dispute a red light ticket and you can call Kyle Lee. And 604-685-8889. Commercial points also apply to you no matter where you are in Canada because there's the commercial driver's license compact between the provinces. So you get a red light ticket in your commercial vehicle registered in Ontario while you're driving in BC. You get them against your Ontario commercial vehicle license it's a big problem it's very confusing it's a big problem and it's not clearly written on any government website which is also unacceptable because people don't understand and they can't understand because there's nowhere to learn it we did a bunch of research on it yeah we had to do fois to get the information because it's not published still didn't get all the information no they didn't reveal release everything They they don't want you to know what the consequences are if you're a commercial driver so dispute every ticket um so he seeks this extension of the time. And Justice Edelman, um, also a very smart judge, dismisses his appeal saying, you can't have your extension because you didn't go through the provisions of the Offense Act to try and unwind your guilty plea for paying the ticket. Which is wacky. Because in the Offense Act... You can file an affidavit with the provincial court and you can say, I missed the time to dispute my ticket um, and I was deemed to be convicted of the offense or I disputed my ticket and didn't show up to court and then deemed to be convicted of the offense. There's two different provisions that apply depending on which circumstance. And then a judicial justice sitting as an administrative decision maker under the Offense Act will review the affidavit and the material that you filed and determine whether or not to allow you to um, have an extension and to have your matter adjudicated in court. The problem is that up until this judgment (laughs) that was released on Monday this week, up until this judgment, if you paid the ticket, they would say they didn't have jurisdiction under the Offense Act to grant the application. But, yes, indeed. But we did apply, and they, there have been times that they did do it. Yeah, but only... Right here in the Richmond Registry, I'm just thinking of a particular case... Yeah, I'm sure... ...related to uh, someone I'm I'm thinking of right now has their front of their Audi all disassembled. Oh. Um, so it has happened. I didn't know he did. Um, no, it wasn't him. Oh. Okay. Um... I know it's happened in circumstances like where the person mistakenly paid the ticket because they thought they were paying a different ticket at ICBC and where they had no intention to plead guilty by paying the ticket. Well, I know that people, they've... There's been people, lots of people who thought that if they paid it before the 30 days, they didn't get demerits. Yeah. So, but anyway... Among other things. It, Primarily, these applications have not been successful, but then Crown Council takes the position that, oh, no, this is the process that you have to follow. And so I looked back at the legislation because I was like, this doesn't make any sense. This, you know, once you pay the ticket, you're done. Right. Um, But I went back and there's actually nothing in the Offense Act that bars you 
from... Relying on the Offense Act. Relying on the Offense Act. So Justice Adelman is technically correct. You have to exhaust your internal remedies first by filing an Offense Act application. The question is, is this judgment going to make it to the JJPs who are hearing these applications? Well, I'm sure it will, and it probably already has. Um, and that's great. Again, this is another good thing, really. It streamlines because, the process and it saves yeah. a ton of money. It's so much harder to file an application for an extension of time to appeal and then the appeal and then have the appeal heard and then go back to traffic court if you're successful. Back when I started, we used to have to go to BC Supreme Court for every deemed conviction unwind. It wasn't in the Offense Act, and JJPs did not have the jurisdiction to deal with it. Oh, my God. So I bet I, the BC Supreme was, Court was getting tired of it. That was my <laughs> that was my first, like, 18 months of my career. All my experience in BC Supreme Court was going in, yes, my client didn't know the 30-day, missed the 30-day deadline. Gowning up just for that? No, it was all in chambers. In chambers, okay. Well, at least there's that. And I was a student at the beginning doing it, so. But it was, yeah, it was all in chambers. Oh, my goodness. But anyway, and then, then that stopped, and then they, when they start allowing it at the registry, is a basically a desk order of the of the judicial justice. Here, Fantastic. here's the question that I have, though, because Mr. Sherman um, gets his ticket December seventh, pays it December thirtieth, and then May sixth. Files the application to extend the time in court, which is granted, and then has the hearing. So, are these two judgments in conflict with one another, or do they complement one another? In both cases, they're helpful for us. Yeah, I get it. I just, I just wonder, like, I worry about a situation where the JJPs say, no, I don't have the jurisdiction to do it if the ticket's paid. It's a guilty plea. It has to go to BC Supreme Court. And then you end up in this never-ending cycle of, like, both sides saying they don't have jurisdiction and case law to support that both sides don't have jurisdiction and you're caught in, like, a jurisdictional vacuum. The difficult thing is if anybody tries to do it on their own or well, they yeah. don't know about it. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're going to, I guess if you're going to bring the application, you should have a lawyer do it so the lawyer can put the case law before the... But the thing is now you can just try in, um, at the provincial court level, and if they refuse to hear it or whatever, then you can say, look, they refuse to hear it. Yeah, I guess, and then you've exhausted your internal remedies. Yeah. And you say, here I am, my tried for my remedies under the I Offense tried Act. tried to do what you said to do in this decision. Yeah, that's very similar to... In the Sherman case. Similar to the Spence case I had in BC Supreme Court where where uh, I tried to get an IRP back in like the days where they didn't revoke them for being unsworn. I tried to get it just quashed by the court. Mm-hmm. And the court's like, no, 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 you got to exhaust your internal remedies. And I said, but there is no internal remedy because they won't revoke it for not being sworn. So... He's like, well, you can't assume they'll act unreasonably. I'm like, really? My like thousands of cases no. hasn't led me to to know that they will act unreasonably on this issue. Certain issues, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Extensions to render a decision for eighteen months. I still have one case out there where they they agreed to a rehearing after the decision said that it had to be properly sworn. They agreed to send it back for rehearing. I wanted to take it to court to have it quashed. And they're like, no, 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 no. And I said, no, quash. And, and they said, no, but we'll consent to a rehearing. I was like, okay. 
And then on the rehearing, the adjudicator said, well, the legislation at the time didn't give me jurisdiction to revoke for an unsworn report, so I just have to extend the time to render a decision until I get a sworn report. That was three years ago. It's still going. Yeah. And I've, like, threatened to, like, set it down for a judicial review and seek costs, and then they're like, no, don't do that. And I'm like, then talk to your client, and they say they will, but that client doesn't do anything. So eventually, I'm just going to entertain myself and set it down and get costs because it's total perversity in the proceeding. Awesome. And the delay is making it worse. Time to do it. Do it now. Yeah. COVID era. You can probably get back into court because yeah. courts are, some courts are opening and some things are actually yeah, going to happen. You could have a, a telephone hearing. Um, speaking of the COVID era, Paul, and our COVID discussion era. earlier about the borders and Bonnie Henry... One thing that a lot of people have been complaining about lately is the increase in the number of vehicles that have been spotted with U.S. plates. U.S. plates, Alberta plates. Yesterday I saw... Yesterday? Yeah, in my, uh, Tuesday. I saw somebody driving. It was actually... I was just surrounded by Toyota Camrys, and it was an Alberta <laughs> plate, and they said, car... It had a, a sign in the back window that said, car equals Alberta, we BC equal BC. I guess because they were concerned about oh, COVID vandalism and COVID, COVID idiots from Alberta coming to BC and and suffering some sort of persecution. Well, there there have been instances where people have said things or left notes for these these tourists from other places. I was supposed to go to Alberta in the next basically month, and I'm wondering if I should go. There was a real issue um, in Banff. And Jasper, people were coming across the border because the one exception you get for... Driving to Alaska. I'm driving to Alaska. to Alaska, going north. So apparently there were large numbers of people who were driving across the border to say, oh yeah, I'm just on my way to Alaska, who were not on their way to Alaska. They were just here for a holiday. Well, Americans wanted to get away from a COVID nightmare. Coming I've to Canada. So many Americans contact me on Twitter to say that they would like to come to Canada and leave the U.S. I want to be like, I will welcome you as my refugees. I can blame them. All right. Um, the uh, feeling very smug as a Canadian these days. I, you know, I don't feel that smug. I mean, we've got our problems. Have you seen how the RCMB handles wellness checks? No. People end up dead. Yeah, that, no, but there's the COVID issue and we don't have Donald Trump. So. Yeah, that's true. Or um, who's that woman that was arrested today in the Epstein saga? Yeah, I I, I skipped past her name. I just thought to Gilen myself. I just thought to myself something? all of these times when people say that you know women are sort of held out often as never committing offenses and being uh, morally better in many respects, and maybe. The general population is, but every once in a while there's somebody who's horrible. Well, sure. I mean, there's like the Carla Hamulka situation, right? Yeah. So, there are bad women. Anyway, um, but uh, that's not what I want to talk about. No. Wanted to talk about people with license plates. So today, um, one of the issues that came up for Dr. Bonnie Henry, because now you can cross the border to go to Alaska. You can also cross the border... If you're reuniting with your Canadian family, like you're a Canadian living abroad and you're coming home. Well, yeah. 
to reunite. Well, before they weren't they weren't even allowing those people. They were like, if you're living abroad, you stay abroad. Oh, I thought you had to come and then you just had to self isolate. No, you couldn't drive across the border. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, so you could fly across, but you couldn't drive across. Well, the the new cases in BC right now are all related to flights. Yes. Yes, and they're ending social distancing on planes, which at the same time makes no no sense. Yes, I know. Um anyway, the point I was making was that Bonnie Henry today said, you know, all these people are people that are that are here legitimately and we shouldn't have stigma against people with plates from other jurisdictions. What do you think of that? Um, there is, uh, a vehicle with a California plate a few doors down from me, and it's been there for about four years, these people. And, uh, you know, you can come as a student, mm-hmm. uh, and keep your plate. Mm-hmm. And I know one Eric McGracken, nice guy, was a student in, uh, New Mexico and drove for a number of months with his New Mexico plate when he first moved back to Canada. Uh, well, he was a student because Eric McGracken would never do anything wrong. No. And we discussed it and he said, no, I've checked. I'm not doing anything wrong. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, I won't check any further then. Yes. Uh, but in any event, the, um, the, uh, there's that one. And there's also a Honda, uh, a couple doors down with an Alberta plate. And it has been there for two years and, uh, they apparently just, register their car in Alberta because it's cheaper, I'm assuming, because I don't think that's a student driving it. Well, you know, lots of students live on Point Grey Road. Yeah. I mean, I live on the Surrey side of Point Grey Road, so <laughs> there are students on the Surrey side of Point Grey Road. That's not what I meant. That's, it wasn't a, to, to dig it, Surrey. I'm so sorry, Surrey. I like a lot of Surrey. Um, south side of Point Grey Road, not the water side. Uh, but, yeah, but uh, all the students with air quotes, live yeah. on the water side. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, funny you should mention that because, yes, there are students driving Ferraris and Maseratis uh, and uh, going to UBC who live on the water side. How much they go to school, I don't know. Probably not very often. But somebody Did, did you to go, to, go school. to school that often when you were in university? Yeah, yeah. I did not miss a day. I had perfect what? attendance. I had perfect attendance in university. And 135 absences in grade 10. By the time I got to university, I thought I better not fuck this up. I had perfect attendance. Well, I had perfect attendance at Kerner's Pub. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Um, but I want to get back to plates. We were talking plates. about foreign yes, plates. Yes, foreign plates. You're letting me just go off on that. I'm sorry. Of- I'm not the tangent police today as I should be. I'm yeah. tired. Yeah. So what did you want to say about foreign plates? You brought this up. I just wanted your opinion. Do you think that Bonnie Henry is just like, it seems to me like you can't possibly know that all these people are here legitimately. And it 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 is almost disingenuous to say, oh, don't bother these people. They're not breaking the rules. Oh, when she has no way of knowing. Get serious. I mean, they're in the country where we are. Vancouver is right on the basically border with uh, with Washington State. There's all sorts of people from Washington State who are up here for months and months at a time working. There's people, my neighbors, two doors down actually, more uh, more legit, have family members from Washington State who are here for two weeks, three weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and over the summer, the entire summer, 
I don't think it's, I mean, a lot of them are people working here. There's lots of people working here. There's lots of people working on pipeline projects. Uh, there's people who are still driving in every day, I know, um, for pipeline projects, working at, um, at the Kinder Morgan uh, pipeline, for example. So, yeah, uh, I can understand that people are concerned when they see the foreign plate. I don't think they should just assume that that person is a COVID person. But I thought it was fascinating today. There was an article in the New York Times that said people not wearing masks is akin to to drunk driving for the threat that it poses. What? And I yes, did not see this. Yes. How did I, you not tell me you wanted to talk about this today? Well, I didn't necessarily want to talk about it. I did tweet it from the uh, Vancouver Criminal Law um, Twitter account this morning, and uh, and I just put this as an interesting angle on it, uh, because I was just thinking to myself, who's the new pariahs here? The new pariahs are... The non-mask wearers? Non-mask wearers. So if I wear a so mask, can I drink be... and drive? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, well, can they smell the breath, uh, alcohol in your breath? Um, we're gonna have, soon have mothers against uh, non-mask wearers. Mother and and mothers against non. Yeah. Anyway, it's gonna be not a great acronym, but the um, uh, that may be next. And I thought that was a I thought that was an interesting comparison because I think it's actually um, kind of ridiculous. <laughs> the comparison is ridiculous, or the idea of not wearing a mask is ridiculous? I think the idea of not wearing a mask in a public place where there are other people is ridiculous. We're not wearing masks in the office. We all are limiting our contact in the office, and we're not getting too close, but we do get closer than two meters, certainly. Uh, but the uh, you know we don't have a big flare-up of it in the lower mainland. If we were in Toronto, I think we'd be wearing our masks all day long in the office. If we were in Toronto, you'd still be saying we should all be working from home. Probably. Toronto just made it like the law to wear a mask in a public place. There you go. City council voted to there pass that as a bylaw. Um, and you never know. We've got this other um, this other virus now showing up in China that may just be fear mongering to freak the shit out of people. Oh, the pig one. Yeah. Um, it was another H one N one or another SARS yeah. or something. Anyway, uh, and we're you know we're already living in our COVID nineteen nightmare um, that um, is going to go on and on and on. Uh, no, I, 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 I didn't like the comparison, but I think that there's an important point there, uh, that people need to understand that there is a risk and we in BC right now have become quite comfortable. And I can see that people in California wanted to become comfortable, uh, and they just don't have it yet. And they're blowing it and yeah. they're going back down into lockdown and, uh, they just didn't seem to to reason to come to the correct conclusions about the status of it. The problem, of course, that you discovered when you got sick um, and you know educated yourself about it is that you can have no symptoms for a long time, can give it to a bunch of people. Those people can be incubating it for a significant period. of I time. I didn't make anyone no sick that no I know idea. of. You have no idea. No one I had contact with developed symptoms. Well, I developed some symptoms, but I was on the same flight with you. Yeah. Um, the, the, um, but the, the, the point is that people don't under, seem to understand the whole incubation period issue and the, uh, the fact that you can be exposed and, and making other people sick without knowing it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and later become sick yourself. Or, I mean, develop the symptoms yourself. This is not the COVID broadcast, but I want to get back to the license plate issue. Um, 
I have um, friends who are driving cross country. Mm-hmm. And you're allowed to drive cross country now. And I've been thinking about driving to Alberta. To Newfoundland? Been, no, no, not that far across okay. country. Uh, Manitoba. Um, and um, just wondering about whether or not there's going to be any um, any repercussions. I lived briefly in Winnipeg and had Alberta plates on my car. And I people used to spit on my car. My gum stuck to my car. Living in Winnipeg. And that was not during a pandemic. That was just... People hating Alberta plates. <laughs> um, Albertans are the, the, the Bavarians have the same issue in uh, in Germany. I I want to yeah. ask you about this New York Times piece because to me, like I I get the whole wear a mask thing, and you'll never hear me like not advocating for COVID protections, considering. Not only did I have it, but I also am one of the long hauler people who have flare ups of symptoms for maybe forever. And it was miserable. And well, it you was awful. Had a fever for a few days, though. I've it's been a week now since I had a fever, but that doesn't mean that my last week of of eight days straight of having a thirty eight degree fever should be ignored. the The point I'm I'm making here is I don't I don't see you can how you can how they can say that it's akin to drunk driving. Because if you think about the risk of you put one impaired driver on the road and the statistical probability that that impaired driver will cause an accident or cause somebody's death compared to one person who is asymptomatic but is not wearing a mask, the risk is very different. Okay, asymptomatic person not wearing a mask makes sick, 10 people sick. A uh, drunk driver gets in their car and drives home and doesn't hit anybody. You know, they're 120. Right, but there are... No no damage in the end. But... Ten people get sick. And of those ten, how many die? Two. Yeah. Well, that's a, it's a 20% death rate, but I mean, it's like... It's that between three and 10% death rate, it seems to be overall. Okay, so maybe one die? Maybe yeah. no so die? you don't wear a mask, you kill somebody. Or maybe you don't kill anybody. But you might make somebody really sick. See, I don't Could see make it. Them, them like you. I, I just don't see the statistical probability, especially if you're w- not wearing the mask, but you're still maintaining distance and following the other rules. But I guess if you're the jerk that doesn't wear a mask, you're also, you know, walking close to people and all of that. Um, there's different people you put at risk, too, with uh, not wearing a mask. I mean, if you're driving and you're drinking and driving at night, you're putting the people at risk who are driving at night. Basically, you're you're putting every janitor at risk because they're the ones driving home from work in the evening. Unless they're the ones driving drunk. That's true. Well, so you put other drunks at risk. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Anyway. Would not be the first time. Um, okay. All right. All right. You've you've persuaded me. I had a friend, Milton. Nice guy back in Edmonton. I didn't represent him. This is not solicitor client privilege. Milton hit somebody. Uh, and he was piss ass drunk, mm-hmm. and um, had a collision with another guy who was piss ass drunk. Mm-hmm. And so they agreed to, you know, just deal with their own damages. Neither one telling Neither on the other. One. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they drove away, but Milton was caught. His light was out. Oh no, Milton! Caught driving drunk home. And they wanted to find the other person. And he said, I don't know the guy's name. He was drunk. He drove home. Anyway, Milton was facing jail because it was like his third impaired. So he he packed it up and moved back to Guyana. Well, why not? Yeah. 
He was great. <laughs> he had a gold tooth and he was like six foot four. Nice guy. <laughs> he had a gold tooth? He had a gold tooth. Was he a pirate? Uh, he could have been a pirate. The, um, no, he was, a, he was a fascinatingly interesting guy. And I knew him when I worked for the auto trader in Edmonton. I used to take pictures of cars that he would, he would buy 1981 to 1983 Honda Civics mm-hmm. and uh, bondo up the rust and paint them and sell them. Mm-hmm. And he never really hid the fact that he did that. Okay. Like you'd go there and you could see he'd sell them right out of his like Bondo Rust Bondo factory. Uh, and people would just come and buy them. And they were selling them for them. He was buying them for like $300 because they were badly rusted. Uh, and uh, doing a terrible repair job and selling them for like $2,500. I cannot. He'd sell three of these a week. I cannot believe that you made me spend time trying to find a ridiculous driver of the week when you've been holding Milton in your back pocket this whole time. The best part once was I went and he he had someone working on a Volkswagen Carmen Ghia that had really bad rust and he was welding in some repair, some spots. He wasn't just bondoing the rust in this case. He was welding it in and then I was there and he had it up on a jack and they lowered it to the ground and they couldn't close the door because it had... They welded the pieces in while it was up, mm-hmm. and the body had twisted so much, <laughs> so they had to cut out all the welds. It was it was just, I mean, it was a dangerous car. Anyway. Oh my God, I love Milton. But he's not the ridiculous driver of the week. The ridiculous driver of the week is... The ridiculous driver of the week. A guy... With his friends, in his vehicle, bearing Alberta plates. Speaking of the Alberta license plates. It was supposed to be a nice segue, but then we heard about Milton the Awesome. Um, Milton was awesome. I loved him. um, It was supposed to be a nice segue. Alberta plates on this vehicle drives into the grocery store at the Vancouver House Development downtown, takes out the grocery store, take that grocery store heroes. The grocery store is right underneath the... uh... The um, Granville Bridge. Yeah, I mean, I can see you how could be you would... part of the bridge, really. Yeah, you could easily make that mistake if you were here from Alberta and not living here for months as a student. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> and or, or maybe been drinking or something. Or maybe been drinking. I mean, there are lots of reasons that you maybe would Milton's suspect. Milton's come that. back to Canada. Milton, is it you? Um, There are lots of reasons you would suspect that, particularly because after the accident, the driver and several passengers all exited the vehicle and ran away from police. Usually a sign that she got something to hide. Well, in the old days, it used to be a stolen car, but stolen cars have become quite rare these days. I just, I love the number of cases that I've had where people... Or scene where people drive into a building or fence or any number of things and then get out and run. Like, the, that's a very common reaction. Yeah, and, I, you know, they're harshly treated if they are caught and get to court. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also harshly treated by police typically when they're caught. They're There's not violence. always caught, um, which is... You know, not a good thing. If you are in those circumstances, don't run. Um, but I have to think that it's more than just like I've had, I've dealt with cases where the person ran and they had nothing to drink. They had, 
they, they're like it was just an accident. They were just so shaken up mm-hmm. uh, because something went wrong. Like one case, that uh, basically the steering wheel came off the guy's car because it was oh, <laughs> it yeah. was recalled. Yeah. And he went yeah. cleaning across the street. He's like. <laughs> smashes into a building it's like i guess the next thing i better do is run that was my favorite video because you could you could see in that video the decision making point for the run you'd see yeah. his face and then i'm gonna run yeah. <laughs> and, and, but yeah, i mean it wasn't a decision really it was like he, he basically the, and, and that's not just the case like that there's been lots of cases like that where yeah people have told me like I, there was no reason for me to run I just ran. I know, I know, like when I was in. Some people don't seem to understand at that moment when they crash their car, they they do want to escape civil liability. What they haven't figured out is that they have insurance. Yeah, that's (laughs) what your insurance is for. I've got my insurance. I paid my insurance. I just had an accident. Better run. Better run. I might have to pay for this. Oh, wait, I already paid for it. I, well, I ran, um, not very far. I ran to the sidewalk, but you know, I was in an accident and smashed up the front of my car and you know in the moments after i computed what had just happened to me um i looked up and there was fluid leaking there was smoke coming out and i thought i better run what if my car blows up now in that moment i was not remembering that the gas tank is at the back (laughs) yeah well fuel there's a fuel pump and fuel comes pouring out the front sure electric fuel pump will just keep pouring out fuel in some vehicles yeah. Um, I mean, I just, to. I just saw smoke and fluid and lots of episodes of CSI Miami in the past and thought there's going to be an explosion. So I ran. You put your hands up like this, like to protect yourself and then leap into the, so, the explosion you know, behind you. To some extent though, I get the running. I get it. But I didn't run far. That's a good excuse. Yeah. I was scared that it was going to explode. So there you go. If you're listening to this podcast and you've driven a vehicle into something and you ran. We have some sympathy for you. And maybe consider and whether. now you've thought of, you, now you have some excuses. Maybe consider whether you were afraid it was going to explode. <laughs> we had more tangents today. We did. Podcast than this was forever. N- but it's summertime, you know, it's summertime. summertime. CBC's all into reruns and there's yeah. no Colbert, Colbert report. Um, these, um. All of these things are ending, so, you know, we are into summertime uh, going on tangents. But you know what? Come for the tangents. Stay for the legal advice, because today you got dispute every ticket. Don't run. Your insurance covers you, so don't worry about civil liability. And wear a mask. And lawyer told me not to talk to you. You can still get a lawyer told me not to talk to you face mask. We have a website. Did we announce this before? Yes, we did. Lawyertoldme.com. And uh, there was, I think, uh, about 60 of the red ones that look a little bit too like mega hats. Mm -hmm. Uh, But still, I mean, patriotic red with white lettering. Uh, And uh, about 200 of the uh, black and white ones. And um, they are uh, pretty darn good looking. We've been wearing them around. Yep. And uh, Getting lots of good feedback. and in many cases, no feedback because people look at us and they're like, oh, they don't know better if I not talk, talk to you. Them. Yeah. They're kind of wondering whether or not maybe we have Tourette's or something or we're going to respond badly. I, um, uh, I enjoyed, I wore it to 7-Eleven the other day and on my way back, someone stopped me in the street and said she recognized me from Twitter and Instagram because of the mask. And I thought that's so nice. You know, people who I don't know, but I interact with on social media and I'm like internet friends with. Now we'll know 
where I am in real life because they see me wearing my mask. I was uh, shooting some video for one of our upcoming videos, and um, I had the uh, the Chev out in front of Hastings Mill, and somebody came up, hey, Paul, and I started <laughs> talking from a distance because it was still COVID, but uh, um, follows both you and I on Twitter. It's lovely. Uh, and then walked by my house and saw that the lights were still on in the Chev and called out to me, turn your lights off. So... It's wonderful to have good connections with lovely people on Twitter. And if you listen to our podcast and you see us in the street, in the bar, no. <laughs> Where else do we go? The street around the office to it. get food. Um, if you see us, say hi. Come up, introduce yourself, stay six feet away, stay hi. Yeah, it's actually really nice. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's funny because Twitter has become... Uh, Really very, uh, very social thing in the pandemic. It's like my only interaction with humans these days. All right. Well, that's our podcast, Paul. So thank you for tuning in to another episode of Driving Law. Uh, if you need to reach us, give us a call 604-685-8889 or find us online, VancouverCriminalLaw.com and tune in next week for hopefully a more exciting episode of Driving Law. What's wrong with this one? It was great. It was great.